current and former members of the U.S. military and law enforcement who took part in the riot. And we now have the remarkable step in this country of the U.S. military running background checks on its own people, like it might do in a foreign country with partner forces, to see if there are any sympathizers. Based on what you've seen, what is your level of concern of an insider threat? Well, it certainly raised this morning. I was reading about this on, the, on my Twitter account, I guess. And people were reminding the people of Anwar Sadat and Indira Gandhi, who were killed by her own, their own people. Um, you know, I was thinking the guard is 90 some odd percent, I believe, male. Uh, only about 20 percent of white males voted for Biden. You've got to figure that in the guard, which is predominantly more conservative, and I see that on my social media, and we know it, they're probably not more than 25 percent of the people that are there protecting us who voted for Biden. The other 75% are in the class that would be uh, the, the large class of folks who might want to uh, uh, do something. And there were military people and police who took oaths to defend the Constitution and to protect and defend who didn't do it, who were in the, the insurrection. So it does concern me, but uh, the vetting at the last minute. But, I mean, th that's far, to, to, to have voted for, for Trump does not make you an insider threat. I mean, that, that's far different from being a threat uh, of violence inside whether the National Guard or law enforcement. I, I'm curious, is there is there anything you've seen to substantiate just how broad this in, insider threat may be, if it, if it exists? Absolutely not, Jim, but, you know, you, you draw circles first. The first circles, people who were for Trump and not for Biden, as far as people who would be within uh, the, the zone of folks who you'd be suspect of. Suspect group. As a Muslim, I'm the last person to want to exaggerate or fearmonger about the threat from terrorism. But I have to say, the threat from the kind of far-right domestic extremists who overran the Capitol, killing a police officer, injuring dozens of others, while perhaps trying to execute our elected leaders, that threat is something that genuinely scares me, something that should worry us all. The threat to our democracy and our quote-unquote way of life is much more serious and real now than it was even after September the 11th, 2001. And don't get me wrong, 9-11 was a horrific mass casualty attack of a kind unique in modern history. 3,000 people killed in a single morning. But in my view, Al-Qaeda after 9-11 was not as much of a threat to us, did not have the kind of advantages or strengths even that this domestic movement of oath keepers and proud boys and militiamen and neo-Nazis and QAnon types, what I would call MAGA terrorists, that they have right now. They're much more dangerous and they're harder to defeat. And I'll give you my top five very simple reasons why. 
At number ten, at number five, Al Qaeda didn't have cable news channels endorsing its worldview 24-7, spreading its hate-filled ideology and vicious, deluded conspiracy theories to millions of Americans in prime time. Remember, in 2001, there was a debate over whether to even show bin Laden on air. At number four, Al-Qaeda didn't get cover from the President of the United States. George Bush called them evil and declared a global war on them. He didn't say, we love you, you're very special. The president's daughter back then didn't call them American patriots, which leads me to number three. Al-Qaeda wasn't part of the base, the electoral base of one of America's two major political parties. Al-Qaeda wasn't umbilically linked to the American conservative movement in the way that these domestic extremists clearly are. Bin Laden and co. didn't have supporters and sympathizers among the House Republican caucus. In fact, hours after the planes hit the towers, legislators in Congress didn't go and undermine American democracy in exactly the way that Al-Qaeda wanted them to. The day after 9-11, there was no poll showing almost half of all Republicans backed the attack. You didn't have people in power in 2001, certainly not people in the Republican Party saying, we need to negotiate with Al-Qaeda. We need to understand their anger, their grievances, their feelings. We didn't have people in power saying, we better not do anything to Al-Qaeda's leader, or that'll make Al-Qaeda even more mad, more likely to kill us. At number two, Al-Qaeda on or after 9-11 hadn't successfully infiltrated our police forces, our law enforcement agencies, our military. None of the 19 hijackers were officers in your local police department. They weren't former Navy SEALs. They weren't off-duty soldiers. Back then, we could trust law enforcement to go after Al-Qaeda. You didn't have police chiefs and generals investigating whether there were Al-Qaeda sympathizers within their ranks. And at number one, the top reason why Al-Qaeda on 9-11 and after 9-11 wasn't as big a threat to us as these guys are now is pretty obvious. Al-Qaeda wasn't white, and white terrorists have a certain advantage, a certain, what's the word I'm looking for? Privilege. White terrorists don't cause widespread fear or panic in the same way that brown terrorists with big beards tend to. The power of whiteness means we just don't take them seriously as a threat. We're lulled into a dangerous complacency, a false sense of security. And that is precisely how the MAGA terrorists ended up successfully pulling off something even Al-Qaeda couldn't do on 9-11, an attack on our capital. Let's not make the same mistake again. Let's take this domestic threat seriously, and let's take the enablers of this threat seriously too. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 19th of January, Year of Our Lord 2021. That was our primer for the day. And... Man, these people, these freaking people. I, I I literally was angry yesterday for most of the day because I woke up to that. The military's turned. Right-wing violence. And then article after article after article that these people believe there's going to be an insider attack on Biden. So much so, they've locked down the Capitol and have more troops in the Capitol than we did during the Civil War. And then by evening, podcast put together, I had this big old script, 
pretty proud of myself. Think this is going to be a good one. <laughs> I got my primer bumper. Because I always want to do a primer. I always say it's a primer. This is how we're setting up the podcast. And then Tucker Carlson comes on and does my complete show. For the record, my wife saw my script. I had it all lined up. But I'm sure every conservative had it all lined up. And we will play 19 minutes of Tucker today. It'll extend the show a little bit. But it was the best 19 minutes of TV I've ever watched. It gave me hope that I'm not the only person here. Because my Never Trumpers don't answer texts anymore. They don't answer emails. So I've kind of removed them from my phone. They're just spun up. They believe that it's true that Trump is this devious moron, Putin's thug but a fascist, incompetent but a mastermind. And then Matt in Oregon sends me this text this morning because I just shut my phone off like at 6. I didn't want anything else to read. It's bad enough that tomorrow we're going to inaugurate a guy who can't even form sentences, but if you post that on Twitter, they call it manipulated media. And we'll cover some censorship and stuff today, but we're just totally going in the rabbit hole of fascism for the left. Because remember, they said everybody was fascist. They're still saying people are fascist, but they're the real fascists. And they don't want opposition. They don't want views. They, they just want to ram down their agenda on America. And the best way to do it is to keep talking about the supposed right-wing freaking extremism. Then I watched Tucker. Got a little hope. And turned my phone back on. So Matt sends me this video. And at this time, I was going to play AC AC 360 to kind of say, maybe it's not just the right. Maybe the left's just ignoring their own violence, and this is the way they can project it on one riot that went pretty bad. So I'm going to play a little montage here of AC 360. This, what is this guy's name? I mean, he this is real shit. This shit is real, my friends. Uh, Don... Winslow, a video of the secret army Trump has. QAnon's bad. I got it. But if you believe this, and I think never Trumpers do, and everybody hate Trump, they really believe this stuff. They've been so brought into that, oh, they're crazy. It's a secret army going to take over the country. So I'll play that, and then I'm going to play Viking Dude. Because Viking Dude is just, it says everything we need to know. So AC360 interviewing a real anarchist who pretended to be a journalist who was now arrested and they've never mea culpa it. Don Wislow with the Army of the Trump. You should see the responses on this thread. I mean, it's just scary shit. And Viking Dude. Um, two or three, two people who were there join us now, documentary filmmaker uh, Jade Sacker and left-wing activist John Sullivan. Uh, John, you filmed this moment on, on your phone. Just Can you describe what happened? Yeah, so uh, basically all the, the protesters kind of stormed to get into the chamber. We tried to get into, like, uh, the main entrance 
right when you walk down the hallway. Uh, but that being said, nobody was able to get in because there's two guards refusing to move. Um, people there were not really wanting to hurt uh, the police. So, like, they went down uh, a different uh, alleyway. They went to, like, the left of uh, the main entrance of the chambers and then uh, took a right down the hallway that en- entered into that glass window scene that you see. Um, there were two, there were about, like, four or five police officers right at the forefront. And I remember just coming up and seeing one of them like crying, saying they want to go home to their kids. And like, one of the we police officers were just, yeah, one of the police officers. It was kind of like a, a scene out of, you know, I just believe it because all he sees is like thousands of these protesters like kind of converge on, uh, on them yelling, saying, let us in here, let us in here. We're not trying to hurt you. Um, I ended up like talking to a few of them. I said, "Hey, we can like just make a pass for you to get through." By no means am I there on on uh, the 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 Trump side or the MAGA side, but I don't want to like see people get hurt unnecessarily, uh, especially when like there should be a, a better way to go about it. So I I I uh, allowed and told everybody just let them through. They're willing to go peacefully and just put down their arms and they walk through. So, so how was uh, how was this lady shot? I mean, she she was in go, trying to get through the door, and was it? Do you did you see who shot her? Yeah. Oh, uh, so I was getting to that part. So immediately after, they start breaking through the glass. On or before January twentieth, Donald Trump will no longer be the commander in chief. He will lose control of the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Special Forces, and America's nuclear arsenal. On January twentieth, Donald Trump will become the commander in chief of a different army. This army. The greatest threat facing America today comes from within. Radical extreme conservatives, also known as domestic terrorists. They are hidden among us, disguised behind regular jobs. They are your children's teachers. They work at supermarkets, malls, doctor's offices, and many are police officers and soldiers. For more than a decade, Donald Trump has spoken directly to white supremacists in their language. Build that wall! Build that wall! Build that wall! Pocahontas, is it offensive? Oh. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. In the middle of a presidential debate, Donald Trump was asked to disavow white supremacy. He refused. Instead, he told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. They heard their leader. They even responded to him on Twitter, promising to stand by. And on January 6, 2021, Trump greenlit them. They suited up, they flew in, they took hotel rooms, they loaded their weapons, prepared their bombs, and they attacked with the intention of killing Nancy Pelosi and hanging Vice President Mike Pence. They were vocally saying, where's the speaker? We know she has staff, they're here someplace, we're going to find them. In the years ahead, Trump will lead his army of domestic terrorists. He will encourage and incite violence. He will play the role of arsonist and fireman. He will start a civil war and then say things were more peaceful when he was president. We have to fight back. In this new war, the battlefield has changes. Computers can be more valuable than guns. And this is what we need now more than ever, an army of citizen detectives. I'm proposing we form a citizen army. Our weapons will be computers and cell phones. We, who are monitoring extremists on the internet and reporting their findings to authorities. Remember, before the Navy SEALs killed Osama bin Laden, he had to be found. He was found by a CIA analyst working on a computer thousands of miles away. It's up to you.
Hey, man. Glad to see you guys. You guys are fucking patriots. Look at this guy. He's got covered in blood. God bless you. You good, sir? Do you need medical attention? I'm good. Thank you. All right. I got shot in the face. Where are they? I got shot in the face with some kind of plastic bullet. Any chance I can get you guys yeah. to leave the Senate wing? We will. I've been making sure they ain't disrespecting the place. Okay. Just want to let you guys know this is like the sacredest place. I know. I know. Hey. In my zeal, I forgot to say we got two subjects today. Just two. This sawed-off bullshit and the inauguration of Trump. Figure before you see tomorrow's shindig, you should remember what it was like four years ago. That whole montage is fucking scary. This Winslow dude, you go to this tweet, they literally say, I am reporting people all the time. I call the FBI, I do this, I do that. I mean, they are, they really have bought that Trump has this secret army and that secret army is going to take over the country. And because of that craziness, I mean, Viking dude shows it. Because of the craziness, they're doing this. Uh, Nick Searcy, FBI super screening U.S. troops for possible insider threats. I have seen on Twitter, I have seen on TV, I could play hours of people literally believing that the Secret Service has to be totally turned over. Because Trump has turned them. They, they're so full of their bullshit, they believe all this stuff. And when we get in our second part of the show today, these are the same people that were already talking about he stole the election and he needed to be impeached in December. I have an actual soundbite from December 22nd, 2016. They were already talking impeachment. Um, here, here's some of the replies to this Winslow cat. This isn't an army. It's a terrorist organization. Trump will become the leader of a terrorist organization. You are one six hateful excuse for an American, somebody did say. You're sick. Seek help. We have to fight against Trump new army. I'm proposing we form a citizen's army. Our weapons will be computers and cell phones. We are monitoring, monitoring extremists on the internet and reporting findings to authority. It's all up to you. It's up to all of us. Sign me up, Don. Everything I send to the FBI, I might have sent more than once. But I country, our country. All the closest Trump supporters working in the Defense Department need to be rooted out, too. I'm not going to read anymore. It, it goes on. And then we find out that while Parler was up, all right, I had a Parler account. Now, some of my Never Trumper friends, they probably think I'm a racist, xenophobe. I've been turned by Trump. That's why they don't talk to me anymore. And that's fine, because you're part of the QAnon on the left. Which is the funniest thing about it. QAnon's a bunch of crackpots, but the left is now saying he has a secret army. He's speaking in coded language. We've heard coded language for four years. Coded language. So Parler was such a threat to them. And, and for the record, I went on there. I posted my podcast episodes. Every time I scanned through, it was just the same stuff I saw on Twitter 
that conservatives were posting articles, their videos. I didn't see a secret white supremacist network and a bunch of Nazis. But of course, when you want to root out all opposition, of course you're going to say that. So while it was still up, Vice and Motherboard went in. I guess Motherboard is part of Vice. Parlor GPS data shows users posting from military bases. The analysis comes as Congress lefties want to know how much white supremacy has penetrated the military. And I, I perused this article. It doesn't say they're saying anything. It doesn't say that uh, Associated Press found 21 current or former members of the U.S. military and law enforcement being at or near the Capitol riot. On Wednesday's authority arrested Jay Fracker, an infantryman with the Virginia National Guard. But when you go through here, there's nothing that says they said violent things. There's a few, all right, that plotted the Capitol riot. But not everybody. But this is how they sum it up. Although much of the content on Parler is vitriolic, racist, or directly inciting violence, having an account on the social network does not mean that a user is necessarily far right. That is buried in the middle of the article, and then the overall article is everybody in the military that was on Parler is a racist. Then you talk to real military people who are connected, guys that, I know, police chief, Active duty troops arriving to town have been briefed that there is no credible evidence of a specific threat to D.C. at this time. None. But you can't tell that. Because you literally have a war zone with um, all these liberals that have been building up that uh, Trump is evil and anybody supports them are racist because they just want to shut down their voice. Not saying there aren't racist. There's a shitload of racists that are leftists. Leftists, whole lot of racists. But it's not the whole group. But once again, shut down voices. We say them all. Then you actually get polls. Majority of Americans say the other Americans are the biggest threat to democracy. The right says it. The left says it. But the right, now, we're so scared of it, we're deplatforming, we're shutting down the sites. We're choosing to make sure that none of their voices are ever heard. And the left gets to go on TV and say whatever they want. Like that nut job. American terrorist. We had a summer of violence. None of you cared. You sponsored it. You financed it. You said it was social justice. It was well worth it. Then you have Business Insider. We looked through hours of footage from the Capitol riot to decode the symbols that Trump supporters brought with them, revealing some ongoing threats to U.S. democracy. Another symbol belonged to QAnon flag. The next one is the three percenters. The next one is the don't tread on me. That's been racist forever. Uh, the, the one guy with the Camp Auschwitz shirts. The OK hand symbol. It's the same stuff. They never stop with this crap. 
But you can outright say every American is a racist who went to parlor and all military people have been turned. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And to show it's not a one-off, no outrage. I was chief prosecutor. This is Congressman Madison Cawthorn's opponent during the last election. I was chief prosecutor at Gitmo for over two years. And there's far more evidence of Congressman Madison Cawthorn's guilt than there was of guilt for 95% of the detainees. It's time we start domestic war on sedition by American patriots. Kira, the left, which has won everything in 2021, continue to spiral into hopeless insanity. They continue to be miserable. I do not understand what is happening to these people, but it's frightening. Robert Crowe's amazing. They lock people up at Gitmo with no trial, wait for the process to become completely normalized, and then use it as a rationale for going after American citizens? I love when prosecutors, the same people responsible for depriving folks of liberty, tweet their ignorance of the law. This is what we call self-evident, self-owned. Pictures. He, he's, a, he's a racist now because he challenged the inauguration or the, the election of Biden, our dear leader now. And then you have Tom Elliott, who rightly asks, well, uh, if that's bad, and that makes you uh, uh, a seditionist now, um, that you're a horrible human being, you're un-American, as my never-Trumper friends say, just it's just wrong, they should be voted out forever, they're horrible human beings. Tom Elliott did a great job, and he went back and got all the people that have done it since 2000. Could there be a big pothole on the road to the Bush inaugural? Rumors of a congressional challenge to the election results are picking up steam on the eve of the certification of the Electoral College numbers. You say it's just a protest, but it does bring attention to the problem of our system when it comes to voting here in the United States. We've got an electoral system out there that doesn't work. We spend more on prison food yep. in this country than elections. What they want to do, in part, is to highlight what they call the massive disenfranchisement as uh, Representative Conyers said in the letter that you just presented, of voters in Ohio. So many voters were disenfranchised, they said, that the Ohio vote and the result of the presidential election are still in doubt. The outcome, of course, was not changed, delayed less than three hours. Though Republican leaders like Congressman DeLay and Ohio Republican Chair Bob Bennett treated it as if the Capitol had been pillaged by the Visigoths. The Democrats knew that it was a pretty ceremonial objection, but regarded it as important. Why did both sides treat this like political dynamite? It would have been nice if both sides could get on a more bipartisan footing and look at these problems. I think Senator Boxer made an excellent point today when she said we've got soldiers abroad dying uh, for democracy but and we need to fix our own democracy here at home. And uh, I was not in this body four years ago uh, but what I observed uh, as a voter, as a citizen of Illinois uh, four years ago were troubling evidence of the fact that not every vote was being counted. Senator from New York. Mr. President, um, this is obviously a difficult debate for many reasons, uh, but I commend the senator from California uh, for joining with 
members of the House, most particularly Congresswoman Stephanie Tubbs-Jones, in raising the objection because it does permit us to air some of these issues. Why did a computing error in Franklin County initially award 4,258 extra votes to George Bush when only 638 people had actually voted? Thankfully, they fixed it. But how many other votes did the computers get wrong? Too many voters have cast votes on machines that jam or malfunction or suck the votes without a trace. As we look at our election system, I think it's fair to say that there are many legitimate questions about its accuracy, about its integrity, and they're not confined to the state of Ohio. Because of these and many other examples, all documented in the press, I am joining with Congresswoman Stephanie Tubbs Jones to cast the light of truth on a flawed system. There is no reason at a time when we have enormous battles taking place ideologically all across the globe. At a time when we're trying to make certain that we encourage democracy in Iraq and Afghanistan and other places uh, throughout the world that we have the legitimacy of our elections challenged, uh, rightly or wrongly, by people who are not certain as to whether our processes are fair and just. Ohio is the objection. I'm from Ohio. I'm raising the objection. But I anticipate you will also hear from some of my colleagues from other states who had similar situations. Now, it's easy to say, well, it happened in Ohio. It happened in Michigan. It happened in Arizona. And so let's not worry about it because it happened everywhere. So I would hope that this body and thanks to the objection of my friend from California, this debate, which has started today, will continue. But there are other things that are being presented that people have shown that I witnessed myself uh, that would say, that say to me that this, the irregularities in Ohio deserve a hearing in the House of Representatives. I would be standing here saying this no matter what the outcome of the election, because I still think the best rule in politics is the golden rule. Do unto others as you Well, Charlie, we know that wind can make a cold day feel colder, but can national pride make a freezing day feel warmer? It seems to be the case, because regardless of the final crowd number estimates, never have so many people shivered so long with such joy. From above, even the seagulls must have been awed by the blanket of humanity. What a day it was. It may take days or years to, to really absorb the significance of what happened to America today. When he finally emerged, he seemed, even in this throng, so solitary, somber, perhaps already feeling the weight of the world, even before he was transformed into the leader of the free world. And the mass flickering of cell phone cameras on the mall seemed like stars shining back at him. In the end, though, it really didn't matter where you were, as long as you weren't alone. Just ordinary street corners, like this one here in Chicago, fell silent, almost becoming a political cathedral of sorts. And almost everyone was making that mental scrapbook, noting the time and place where they were on this day, and perhaps shared a collective tear. Politics and patriotism and the presidency. It is the place where the secular and the religious merge. And one of the sacraments of our national religion is the inauguration. 
So it was that as many as two million pilgrims made their way to Washington and the mall to witness this. I think there are people who are pushing very hard who think that um, because of some of the constitutional perils of the emoluments clause, uh, because of the popular vote margin, because of um, a fundamental, they think, threat to liberal democracy, that, that, the, that electors should be persuaded and pressured on Monday to, to part with what their pledge is and vote, and vote against Donald Trump. Yes, they absolutely you should do so? that. Absolutely. I, I believe right now that there are electors. They only need 38 of them who have a conscience or who are worried about a man who won't attend the daily security briefings, who, uh, who we now know Russia was trying to help get elected. I mean, can you imagine if, this is, if you or I had been running for office and they, they showed that the Iranians were somehow involved in helping you or me get elected? What would happen to you or me, Chris? I'm just curious. What would happen? This I think is it would be a totally chill situation. You think that John Adams, Ben Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, uh, they designed the Electoral College uh, for this kind of a, a, a situation. Tell me why. Well, look, it's a cumulative thing. I've watched this president-elect, and I set out to give him the president of the doubt and the, 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 uh, the benefit of the doubt, and then I watched him sort of make up uh, just quite uh, outrageous lies. The idea that there were two to three million fraudulent votes cast in this election. Uh, the idea that he won a historic political victory. None of these things are true. And unfortunately, you know, unlike crazy Uncle Mike down at the TGI Fridays, what the president says really matters. It moves lives. It, it moves markets. It, it, it makes a difference and how people behave around the world and then add into that the fact that this guy president-elect trump can find time to meet with kanye this morning but apparently can't find time to be briefed in a very dangerous world by the intelligence agencies that he has trashed in public for me the final straw was when i saw the president-elect the united states trash the intelligence community and stand up for the kremlin and i thought this guy is not qualified to be president and yes we do have a constitutional mechanism and this is not an idea you just need to read the federalist papers to know that our founding fathers, uh, and, and, and let me be clear here, I'm not a big fan of the Electoral College, but the Electoral College was set up precisely to allow for a group of people to deliberate and to stop foreign interference, to stop somebody ascending to that office who was not qualified. And by the way, interestingly enough, the idea always was that the Electoral College would step in and act against the popular will. That is to say, they would say to the majority of Americans, the, the guy you picked to be president is not going to be president. In this case, if the Electoral College acted, they would be acting according yeah. to the wishes of the majority of Americans. That was okay. That was all good to go. His tweets. Can one explain maybe Jake Tapper and Nicole Wallace why Republicans who voted against certifying electoral college votes are being called seditionists, treasonists, etc.? While these terms were never used when Dems did the same thing in 2001, 2005, and 2017. Here's Representative Jay Himes on December 13, 2016, urging the elect college to vote against Trump, despite his winning on Election Day. We were fine with that. They, they had no fucking problem. He goes on to list all sorts of people. And as stated, I could play a long, long montage of impeachment. I'm just going to play one. This is Trump's inaugural and impeachment shenanigans. We'll, we'll do his speech at the end and, and get rid of one of the videos because I don't want to go too long. But I have a whole montage. It goes on for uh, two minutes. And this was all before he was sworn in. All of it. This is all in December 2016. 
theme is sort of about a board game that you say will reveal the predicaments of the entire classes of Americans under Donald Trump and consequences for great swaths of our society. What's the larger point you're trying to make? Well, no, the larger point was that, that I was just colliding with kids who were responding to the Trump election and their bewilderment and found myself playing these games with them. I mean, for example, one collection of kids were trying to try to imagine what Trump could possibly do to get himself impeached. Right. And they ran through every like absurd possibility, like murdering someone in the White House. And, and they, st they, they came to the conclusion that nothing would get him impeached. Yeah, we have a quote, and, actually. We have a quote from that section of the article. You write briefly. They all agreed that if Trump were caught on a video camera snorting cocaine in the White House, maybe with one of his children, there was at least a chance he'd be impeached, but only a slight chance. The yeah, election had yes. taught these kids that in large, a large part of their country no longer holds political candidates to the standards of behavior enforced by their own high school. One last gasp, a desperate last-ditch effort to deny Donald Trump the presidency as the Electoral College meets across the country today. Protesters encouraging members to change their votes last-ditch attempt to try to reverse the election of Donald Trump. Protests plan to persuade electors around the country not to cast votes for the president-elect. The Electoral College expected to make it official for Donald Trump today. A last-ditch effort from celebrities and protesters to keep him from office. From celebrities making a last-minute appeal. Republican members of the Electoral College, this message is for you. To protesters marching on the National Mall and an online petition with nearly 5 million signatures. This morning, an unprecedented push for the Electoral College not to pick Donald Trump when they cast their vote today. It's a formality required by the Constitution, but there will be protests this year, and some electors are urging others not to vote for Donald Trump. Yep, no issues. We had no issues with that. Everybody was fine. Majorie, uh, Representative Major, uh, I don't know what to say, Taylor Green has been locked out of her Twitter account. No reason given. And that's because she's saying she's going to impeach Biden. Which you can't do now. You could do it in December 2016. Everybody was for it. But this is, once again, this isn't about that riot. You can pretend it's about the riot. There was violence. People got hurt. People died. People died all summer. You had any problem with that violence. It was way more violent. If Viking dude shows you anything, and all the arrests, I mean, fucking, there's all sorts of lefties that got caught up in it. It was a conglomerate of people that hate America. Not just Trumpers. People that hate America were the people there. It's already been proven six minutes before he ever said, go fight for your blah, 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 which is what they impeached him on. They were breaching the fucking Capitol. But, you know, hey, the Daily Beast. Other countries have domestic spy agencies to fight extremism at home. Does America need one, too? I don't remember that about Antifa. Daily Caller, we had five reporters on the ground for the riot. Here's what really happened. Try to get a, um. I can't even read it. I'm not a patriot level for Daily Caller. But I had a friend subscribe it. Yeah, they were bad people there. Trump supporters were trying to stop it. They don't play that video anymore. And... For the record, if you just stumbled across this on Rumble or SoundCloud, I'm not a Trumper, I'm not a white supremacist, 
I am just the guy in the dark saying, I said this was going to happen. I said they're going to lock us all down, get us off digital, and ram home a different form of government. And the way they do it is get a boogeyman. And now they don't have Trump. So now the boogeyman is anybody who disagrees with them. Right now, for number Trumpers specifically, this is for you. Anifa posting their flyers around Portland advertising their upcoming riot. J20. Fuck the state. Fuck Biden. Fuck 12. January 20th. No streamers. No police. No peace. Feds arrested hardcore leftists who plan to attack on pro-Trump demonstrators at the Florida capitals. Because it came out that they're going to be at the capitals protesting. So now that we classify all right ones, what they've been trying to do for four years is a bunch of white supremacist Nazis. Yeah. Now Antifa's going to attack them and our media's going to spin it. Well, they didn't come there. Proud boys. It's what we've done for a year or three or four months. It started out as white supremacist. I guess the last three months has been... Proud Boys, an organization that nobody really knows about, but them, the three percenters, all these little vague groups, they still can't get off the tiki torches. The tiki torches scared them because it is what they said it is. They said everybody on the right is fucking Nazi, and then some Nazis showed up. And then you haven't seen Nazis. And then you have a riot on the Capitol, which was violent in certain areas, and it sure looked like people were just allowed to be there. And one of the loudest voices, John Weaver, sheds more life on life light on his and the Lincoln Project's awfulness. Uh, Max Eden. So I have a story about John Weaver. Fortunately, no one thematically similar to the young men who he groomed and sexually exploited, but certainly one of his historical and moral interests. In 2011, Michael Knowles and I formed a student group to draft Mitch Daniels to run for president. We thought he had character and temperament and leadership skills to put America back on a moral fiscal rooting. The, man, the main factor said to be holding Daniels back at the time was his wife's reservations. They had divorced and remarried, and she did not want the media to pick over their every detail of their lives, blah, 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 blah. Ultimately, she vetoed her of a rival campaign orchestrated as an incredibly dirty political hit, connecting the wife, the ex-wife of the man Daniels' wife was briefly married to with a reporter leading the story that all but promised, if you run, Mitch, we will destroy your wife. After Daniels decided not to run, Knowles and I were contracted by or contacted by John Weaver, who offered us a seat at the table on the Huntsman campaign. If we endorsed him and helped to lead his youth operation, he ghosted us after getting what he wanted. We later learned that it was Huntsman campaign under Weaver leadership that orchestrated the political hit job against Mitch Daniels' wife. We were later assured by members of the Huntsman family that this was done entirely behind their backs and without their knowledge. Going after a man's wife is one of the dirtiest things you can do in politics. If Weaver's team hadn't done it, Daniel might have run. If he ran, I believed he could have won, or at least the course of American political history would have been different. Many inflection points of gross immorality to lead to where we are today in American politics. This was one of them. A man who attached himself to politicians purportedly to represent Republican virtue and principal conservatives was not only grooming and sexually exploiting young men, but was also ran the campaign that conducted one of the grossest, least remembered, and plausibly most consequential personal destruction hit jobs of the 21st century. But they're great people. They're brought on MSNBC all the time. CNN touts O'Rourke's demand Cruz be removed from the Senate. We must remove them from the Senate 
because we don't agree with their challenging election that we did every fucking time we've had an election. They got people so scared. New, the west front of the Capitol has yet been evacuated. We have moved. Staff were sent this notice. All buildings within the Capitol complex. External threat. No entry or exit is permitted. Stay away from the exterior windows, doors, outside. Ah, and all these, oh my God, pray for our country. Trump's people, they're fucking horrible. Ah, ah, what's happening to America? Ah, all clear. It was a homeless person who started a fire. A homeless person. And if you think they're not using this, once again, to get what they want, which is no opposition, here's Brian Seltzer. Information crisis that has been perpetuated, in my view, by platforms like the one we're used to work, Facebook, as well as Twitter and others. It's really hard because what's happening is people are able to seek out the information that makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. That is what's happening is that you know, people have so much choice now. They can choose what their news sources are. They can choose what influencers they want to follow. Um, and, and they can try to seal out anything that que- helps them question that. And th- I think that gets to a, a really core issue uh, with how our freedoms as Americans and, and the way we've treated press freedom in, in the past is being abused by these actors um, in that we have given a lot of leeway, uh, both in the traditional media and on social media, to people to have a very broad range of political views. And it is now in the great economic interest of those individuals to become more and more radical. And I think that one of the places you can see this is on the, the fact that you now have competitors to Fox News on their right, OANN yes. and Newsmax, which are carried by all the major cable networks. Um, who are trying to now outflank Fox on the right because the moment Fox introduced any kind of realism into their reporting, immediately a bunch of people chose to put themselves into a sealed ecosystem. And they can do that both on cable, they can do it online. um, And that becomes a a huge challenge of figuring out how do you bring those people back into the mainstream of fact-based reporting and try to get us all back into the, the same consensual reality. And can you, is that possible? Seems like that's an open question. It's hard. I mean, I think we got to do a couple things. One, there needs to be an intentional work by the social media companies collaborating together to work on violent extremism in the same way they worked on ISIS. When I started at Facebook in 2015, the number one challenge from a content perspective was the abuse of social media by the Islamic State. Um, And there was a, a collaboration between the tech companies and between the tech companies and law enforcement to make it impossible for them to use the internet to recruit and radicalize young mostly young Muslim men at the time around the world. Now we're talking about domestic audience in the United States. And the challenge is going to be partially that, you know, ISIS did not have a domestic constituency in the United States Congress. But there is over half of the Republicans in Congress voted to overturn the election. Um, And there will be a continual political pressure on the the companies to not take it seriously. So I think first, you have Mm. to focus on those violent extremists and those companies have to be brave in that way. And second, we have to turn down the capability of these conservative influencers to reach these huge audiences. There are are people on YouTube, for example, that have a a larger audience than daytime CNN. And they are extremely radical and pushing extremely uh, radical views. And so it's up to the Facebooks and YouTubes in particular to think about 
whether or not they want to be effectively cable networks for disinformation. And then we're going to have to figure out the OANN and Newsmax problem. You know, that these companies have freedom of speech, but I'm not sure yes. we need Verizon, AT&T, Comcast and such to be bringing them into tens of millions of homes. Um, I, I, this is, you know, allowing people to seek out information if they really want to, but not pushing it into their faces, I think is where we're going to have to go here. Hmm. Alex and Chris, thank you both for, for looking ahead with us. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. They're going to use this for every conversation. Lauren's tribe, white supremacists, oppose abortion because they fear it will reduce the number of white infants and thus contribute to what they fear as non-white replacement. Never underestimate the way these issues and agendas are linked. This turns intersectionality on its head. Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist who thought black people shouldn't reproduce. That's how far they spin this to your world. Amanda Marquette, not an exaggeration to say conservatives believe white women should be forced to breed in order to maintain white supremacy. Also important to understand that forced childbirth is viewed as a way to economically cripple women that don't fit the middle class white housewife mold. They're doing this all over the internet because they don't want people to talk about pro-life anymore. There is no pro-life. You will abort to live birth and if you don't believe that, you're just a white supremacist. Even though PPFA started on eugenicists, even though PPFA is located in black communities, the majority of their babies, proportionally, since we use that for everything, proportionately is black. They killed more black babies than racists ever could. And then you got Jake Tapper. This is how a terrorist attack on January 6th happened. Millions of Americans infected with the virus of disinformation. Until those who spread the big lie work to correct it, I fear that the U.S. will continue to be in a bad and dangerous place. Do you remember our primer coded language and the media establishment that needs to go away, right-wing, conservative, just non-prog needs to go away? Why is a major anchor using the same words the president used in Tomorrow, the president, inferring that all his opposition are Nazis? Why is that okay? Why do we feel that is okay? The whole world said Russia would like a word. Russia. And I, I'd like to hear Russia talk about it. I mean, here are just a few things that came out of CNN. CNN gloats over Melania's negative approval rating. Just play a little bit of it. After four years of smashing norms, he leaves office flouting all the traditions of grace and dignity of a departing president. We have new reporting on what Melania Trump could not be bothered to do this week. And here's a pop quiz for you. Okay. Who's the only first lady to leave the White House with a net negative approval rating? How much time do I have? I'm going to give you the answer shortly. Okay. Yeah, Harry Enten, by the way. The answer to my trivia question from Harry Enten, Harry Enten is that Melania Trump is the only first lady to leave the White House with a net negative approval rating. Yeah, yes. no, when you look at it, I mean, the, the, the body language and the graciousness is just so stunning now to watch what the Obamas did for the Trumps. 
<laughs> yeah. Guard to family. H.R. McMaster came on. Got him all pissed. I'm trying to find it because I, I freaking lost it. Let me look at my history because uh, where in the hell did I get that? Well, well I looked that up. Let's punch in Tucker. Because this is the best 19 minutes of TV I've seen in my life. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Our capital city, Washington, is under military occupation tonight. By Inauguration Day, there are expected to be more than 26,000 armed federal troops in Washington. No living American has seen a moment like the one we're watching now. 26,000 soldiers, that's more than five times the number of American military personnel currently stationed in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. That is more than twice the number of troops that President Lyndon Johnson ordered to Washington in April of 1968. In April of 1968, Washington, D.C. was literally on fire. Race riots had broken out after the assassination of Martin Luther King, whose memory we celebrate today. More than 1,000 people were injured in those riots, and at least 13 of them died. Much of the capital was leveled, and it stayed that way. Box of charred rubble for decades. If you visited Washington in the 1990s, you remember what it looked like. But according to our current leaders, the so-called insurrection of January 6th was much worse than any of that. So far, here is the death toll from that day. A police officer was hit in the head by rioters, then later had a stroke and died at a local hospital. An unarmed protester was shot to death by authorities as she tried to climb through a window. A woman may have been trampled to death by the crowd. As of tonight, those are the three casualties we can confirm from the riot at the Capitol building on January 6th. In response to that, our leaders have assembled the largest military presence in Washington in all of American history during peacetime. In 1864, as the Civil War raged on the other side of the Potomac, and Americans died every day in large numbers in battle, there were fewer federal troops protecting Washington, D.C., than there are tonight. And it's truly a national force. The guardsmen you see in Washington have come from every state in the Union, as well as from Puerto Rico. And the question is, why is that? There's no practical or operational justification for it. For decades, Washington, D.C. has had the highest per capita law enforcement presence in the country, and one of the highest in the world. So there was no need to fly in troops from Alaska to keep the city safe. But keeping the city safe was hardly the point of the exercise. The murder rate in the District of Columbia has risen with terrifying speed over the last six months. Men, women, and children shot to death in the streets. But no one in charge seems to care about that or even notice their deaths. So no matter what they are telling you, those 26,000 federal troops are not there for your safety. Instead, unmistakably, the Democratic Party is using those troops to send the rest of us a message about power. We're in charge now. We run this nation from Honolulu to our colony in the Caribbean and everything in between, very much including where you and your family live. Do not question us. Men with guns enforce our decrees. We control the Pentagon. And indeed, they do control the Pentagon. Republicans have spent years ignoring the leftward drift of our officer corps, but we can't ignore it now. The mask is off. Our military leadership, the very same generals who howled at the idea of deploying American troops to stop an invasion of our southern border, those same generals sent tens of thousands of soldiers with rifles to Washington purely as a show of force on behalf of the political party they support. And once they did that, 
They then allowed Democratic politicians to degrade and politicize the military itself. Democrats in Congress demanded that the troops sent to Washington this week submit to a political purity test, ideological vetting, as they put it, to make certain that every soldier professed loyalty to the new regime, not loyalty to our country, not loyalty to our Constitution, but loyalty to the aims of a specific political party. Nothing like that has ever happened in America. And just a few months ago, it would have been unimaginable. Suddenly, it's compulsory. Here's Congressman Steve Cohen of Memphis explaining why it is. The Guard is 90 some odd percent, I believe, male. Um, only about 20 percent of white males voted for Biden. You've got to figure that in the Guard, which is predominantly more conservative, and I see that on my social media and we know it, they're probably not more than 25 percent of the people that are there protecting us who voted for Biden. The other 75 percent are in the class that would be uh, the, the large class of folks who might want to uh, uh, do something. We should pause that tape and we should consider for a moment and think deeply about what Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee just told us on television. He said that every white man in this country is a potential murderer. Every white man in America should be under suspicion, purely on the basis of being white and male, of planning a presidential assassination. He told us the National Guard is overwhelmingly white and male. Therefore, Congressman Cohen says, white male National Guardsmen must undergo government background checks to prove they're not planning murder. Steve Cohen didn't couch any of that. He just said it. And the CNN anchor nodded as he did. The rules on generalizations like this have changed quite a bit in a very short time. It wasn't that long ago, it was November 5th, 2009, that an army major called Nadal Hassan opened fire on innocent people at a military base in Texas. Nadal Hassan shot 45 people at Fort Hood. 13 of them died. When it emerged later that Hassan was an Islamic extremist, and then it emerged that the army had failed to notice his extremism or in any way protect the public from his extremism, no one at the Pentagon was court-martialed. Instead, the rest of us sat through months of lectures about how we had no right to come to broader conclusions about what had happened at Fort Hood. Yes, the shootings were bad, though not, Barack Obama made clear at the time, an act of terrorism. But far worse than mass murder, we were told, would be the sin of drawing any connection between Nadal Hassan's beliefs and the beliefs of anyone else in our country. Nadal Hassan was a single person, literally a lone gunman. He was not a stand-in for all Muslims. So stop with your prejudice, rednecks. That's what they told us. And by the way, it's okay that they told us that. Most Americans are decent people. They don't blame entire groups for the crimes of a few. Bigotry is immoral, and so is collective punishment. There is nothing more un-American than that, but not anymore. Collective punishment is now the official policy of the federal government, and it's enforced by the Pentagon. You'd love at some point to ask Congressman Cohen about the implications of this. Since we've established this new standard, this new requirement of collective punishment, what other groups of Americans, Congressman Cohen, should be denounced and hurt simply because of the way they look, simply because of the DNA they were born with? Or does this new standard apply only to white men? And if it does apply exclusively to white men, which is definitely the impression we're getting from you, how does targeting white men contribute to your stated goal of reducing white male extremism? Because doesn't attacking people on the basis of qualities they can't control make them more extreme, not less extreme? Aren't you persecuting them into behaving in precisely the ways you claim you don't want them to behave? And since you're not a moron, wouldn't all of that be obvious to you? So why are you doing it? 
Why in the name of fighting extremism are you, Congressman Cohen, creating extremism? By the way, dead certain, no question about it, that's exactly what you're doing. What, Steve Cohen, is your motive for doing that? That's a sincere question, by the way. Congressman Cohen is invited on this show anytime to give us his answer. In the meantime, you've got to wonder about what the guardsmen themselves think of all of this, this new policy. Serving in the National Guard is not easy work. Guardsmen aren't paid much. Some, you've got to imagine, are doing it for love of country. Now they've been deployed to their country's own capital city, and they've been given orders to shoot their fellow Americans if necessary. That's a lot to ask. Now, suddenly, on top of all of that, they've been told that if they were born a certain way, if they're white and male and therefore evil and dangerous, they themselves are under suspicion of being the enemy. They're potential killers, assassins, betrayers of a nation. We're not overstating this for effect. Here's a National Guard commander in Puerto Rico describing to his troops the enemy they will face in Washington. They are white nationalists, he tells them. They are proud boys. If you wanted to stoke an irreparable civil conflict, you would talk this way and you would keep talking that way. You'd tell armed men under your command that they might have to shoot people who voted for the wrong candidate in the last election. You can see where this could all go. It's really scary. So where's the pushback from our defenders? Well, we didn't get any calls today from Republican senators begging to come on this show to talk about any of this or to push back against it. The Democratic Party is using the military of the United States, which they do not own, as a political weapon. But Republicans in Congress just can't be noticed, bothered to notice that. You think officers at the Pentagon would be outraged by this. It's such a total betrayal of everything our country and the military are supposed to stand for. Yet as far as we know tonight, not a single officer has resigned in protest. Background checks on people because of their race and sex, because of their political views? Why aren't they protesting? Why aren't they resigning? We can't say we know some clearly agree with all of this, and they'd like to see it accelerate. Quote, I was chief prosecutor at Guantanamo for over two years, a former Air Force colonel called Mo Davis announced on Twitter today. And there's far more evidence of Congressman Madison Cawthorn's guilt than the guilt of more than 95% of the detainees. It is time we start a domestic war on sedition by American terrorists. That's a verbatim quote. And we'll repeat that sentence in case you thought you heard it incorrectly or we're making it up. We are not. A career American military officer has now called for, quote, a domestic war on sedition by American terrorists. A war. Among those terrorists, the ones he says are literally more dangerous than Al-Qaeda and therefore must be imprisoned and killed, is a 25-year-old wheelchair-bound Madison Cawthorn who was just elected by American voters to the United States Congress. But according to Colonel Mo Davis, Congressman Cawthorn, and the millions of Americans who agree with him, the ones who voted Republican in November, must be subdued by force. They are the enemy our military exists to fight. Now keep in mind that Colonel Davis, Colonel Mo Davis, spent his life under arms. So you can be certain he isn't using the term enemy in some metaphorical sense, as in Oreos are the enemy of an effective diet. No. He means enemy in the way Osama bin Laden and his co-conspirators at Gitmo were our enemies. And you remember what we did to Osama bin Laden. Has Twitter seen Mo Davis's tweet? Has the Secret Service? Do they care? Does anyone? Well, you know the answer. Well, a single one of Colonel Mo Davis's many allies in the Democratic Party denounce what he said, or even tell him to cool it a little bit. And what about the news media? 
Reporters are perpetually on the hunt for what they describe as dangerous extremism. Have they noticed Colonel Mo Davis on Twitter? Probably they have, but of course they agree with him. Just today, the Daily Beast, the homepage of our highly credentialed but not super bright ruling class, ran a piece with this title. Can U.S. spy agencies stop white terror? Other countries, the story pointed out, have domestic spy agencies to fight extremists at home. So, of course, we need one right away. What the piece does not mention is that those other countries would include China, North Korea, Kazakhstan. Domestic spy agency is a not very subtle euphemism for secret police. That is what they're calling for. Now, you'd think talk like that would constitute a big red line for the many professional freedom defenders in Washington, the ones you send money to. The think tank libertarians, for example, they're everywhere. But not tonight. Where are they tonight? A former U.S. military officer declares war on American citizens. Members of the media call for a secret police agency. This is the stuff of libertarian nightmares. It's what they claim to hate. So where are they now? Why isn't billionaire libertarian man of principle Charles Koch spending billions of dollars to stop this, these abridgments of liberty, these unprecedented attacks on liberty? He's definitely not spending billions to stop it. Doesn't seem doing anything. No one is. And so it continues unabated. Democrats in Congress support a new secret police agency, but why wouldn't they support it? What better way to protect your own power than funding a, quote, domestic spy agency to fight extremists at home? Those extremists, needless to say, will be their political opponents. So you don't have to worry about them anymore because they'll be in jail. Just last year, Congressman Brad Schneider of Illinois sponsored legislation to begin the process of creating just such an agency, empowering current agencies to spy on Americans based on their political beliefs. And guess what? Schneider's bill sailed out of the House Judiciary Committee. All but two Republicans voted for it. Nor did Republicans say a word when Congresswoman Grace Meng of New York sponsored a bill to criminalize the, quote, purchase, ownership, or possession of body armor. Body armor. Not the ownership of guns or bombs or even knives. That's where you thought we were. Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas just introduced legislation to require a license from the government in order to own ammunition. Well, that seems nonsensical and extreme, especially from a party that released thousands of violent criminals from prison in just the last year. But no. It's much crazier than that. It's banning body armor, devices that cannot under any circumstances be used to hurt another person. Body armor is purely defensive. Body armor exists only to protect the person who is wearing the body armor. It is already a crime to use body armor in most places while committing a violent felony. This is different. This would make it a crime to possess body armor at all. Why would you do that? Why would you make it a crime to possess something designed to save your life? That'd be like banning seatbelts or banning helmets. And actually, now that we mention it, Grace Meng's bill would ban helmets. Any helmet that might protect you from gunfire. For real. And honestly, you should pause when you hear that. What could possibly be the motive for it? We can't think of a non-sinister explanation for banning body armor. It should make you nervous to hear it's even being considered. But again, Republicans never said a word about this. They were too busy agreeing with Democrats that what happened at the Capitol was a white supremacist insurrection. Senator Jim Lankford of Oklahoma, who tells his voters he's conservative, just apologized to African-American voters for ever mentioning the possibility of voter fraud, since somehow that is now racist. How is that racist exactly? We'll tell you exactly the truth. What happened on January 6th was awful. We don't like mobs. We don't like vandalism. We don't like violence. We said it at the time. We'll say it again now. We'll never stop saying it. 
But what happened on January 6th was not an insurrection, and there was nothing racial about it. That is a total lie. It is told and repeated purely for political advantage. Here's what it actually looked like inside the Capitol when the first demonstrators burst in. Chatting with the cop on the House floor. The guy in the Viking hat, Chewbacca man, you've seen him before, is a real-life person. His name is Jacob Chansley. Chansley is sitting in jail tonight. He's being held without bail. Bail was denied on Friday. The judge who ordered him to rot in jail presented no evidence that Chansley was violent or a threat to anyone. Nevertheless, the judge concluded, quote, this is an insurrection, and Jacob Chansley was, quote, a symbol of what occurred. He now faces 25 years or more in prison if convicted. You just saw the crime. The real crime, though, was being a symbol of insurrection. No matter what happens, Jacob Chansley will almost certainly do more time in prison than countless murderers, rapists, and armed robbers. Actual criminals aren't a problem for the Democratic Party. In fact, they're an important constituency, and it shows. Since Memorial Day, about 90% of the people arrested for gun crime in New York City, for example, have been released back onto the streets free to do it again. Gun crime, really? From the party that is against gun crime, right? Gun crime, gun violence. Yeah, 90% released. Because unlike Jacob Chansley, they are not symbols of insurrection. Will this cycle go on? If you're hoping America will revert to normal on Wednesday afternoon after Joe Biden is sworn in as president, you are an optimist. You probably assume the quarantines and mandatory face coverings were temporary too. Probably not. Something awful has been unleashed on our country. Unchecked, it will inevitably lead to more awful things. Every action provokes a reaction. That is physics. It's also human nature. Abraham Lincoln understood this well. In January of 1838, Lincoln spoke to an audience in Springfield, Illinois, about what happens when a society refuses to punish thugs and vandals. It's not a small thing. Citizens, Lincoln said, see their property destroyed, their families insulted, and their lives endangered, their persons injured. And seeing nothing in prospect that forebodes a change for the better, they become tired of and disgusted with a government that offers them no protection. At that point, Lincoln noted, they become radical. They do things they never would have considered terrorism as we have to stopping international terrorism. Think about that. How would that project end? You know. The truth is we don't deserve that. Very few Americans deserve to be treated like Osama bin Laden because they're not terrorists. They shouldn't be treated like ISIS. Most Americans are good people, even if you hate how they voted. We don't need a war within our borders. Stop calling for one, people in charge. Only the worst people will win that war. Huey Long understood this. Huey Long was maybe the only true economic populist ever elected to the United States Senate. He was a Democrat back at a time when you could be an economic populist and still a Democrat. And for that, he was more hated than Donald Trump ever imagined he could be hated by everyone, not just Republicans, but by the sitting Democratic president, Franklin Roosevelt. Hugh Long was a very flawed guy. They always are. But he wasn't stupid. In fact, he had flashes of wisdom. In 1935, Huey Long had a flash of wisdom. Here's what he said. If the United States ever winds up with a fascist government, quote, we will have it under the guise of anti-fascism. That's right. Jason Whitlock standing by to react to everything that's happening in the world, and we're glad he is. Also, why teachers at your kid's school may need to undergo anti-racist therapy. <laughs> Joe Biden has just taken a major step toward making that happen. It's on the way next.
the greatest 19 minutes of TV ever. And everybody online who's not a never-Trumper or a liberal agreed. The greatest 19 minutes of TV. They're duping the country. I mean, for fuck's sake, folks, before we get into the tapper shit, walls don't work. Eight-foot non-scalable fence around the U.S. Capitol replaced by a 12-footer with no credible threats. But WAPO, to understand Trump's support, you must think in terms of multiracial whiteness. Because they're finally getting pushed back on the Proud Boys, an organization of gay, black, Latino. They're now the racist because you couldn't pin it on the racist because everybody didn't buy it. They didn't buy this for a summer being a few white guys in the crowd. It was Antifa putting up flyers. There'll be violence at capitals. It'll be Antifa. Murders in New York of 125% just this year. Just this year. And to understand the people we're dealing with, German quarantine breakers to be held in refugee camps, detention centers. Remember, truth and reconciliation comes from South Africa. And they truly believe our country is a total racist landscape. And it worked to fix South Africa. And re-education camps worked really good for Mao. And they're socialists. So they keep saying these words. You guarantee you break quarantine and you do something. You're going to see some detention coming in the next four years. That's not fear-mongering. That's just fact. They're going to do it. Greg Abbott's so pissed off by the way the National Guard was done. Um, This is the most offensive thing I've ever heard. No one should ever question the loyalty and professionalism of the Texas National Guard. I authorized more than 1,000 to go to D.C. I'll never do it again. They pulled people from Alaska. Alaska. For nothing. Nothing. WAPO. The show on the Melania that we played briefly. Most people know her as Jill Biden, but to some she is Dr. B, the compassionate and challenging educator who went the extra mile. I'm going to be flipping in these kind of stories for the rest of the podcast as we start playing inaugural stuff. This is your future. Just go look what they did to the National Mall. It's almost communist. Little flags. It's all a show. They, they just said this summer the flag is racist. But they got thousands, hundreds of thousands of little flags out there. Nobody holds them account for their words. The national anthem, the flag. It, why? Don't even bring it out. You said it's garbage. You said the country was garbage. So I don't understand if 80 million people really voted. How did you vote for a fucking guy who says this country is garbage? 
Tom Elliott, apparently there's some sort of media competition underway to see who can get the most humiliating, sycophantic piece past their editors. Their editors are probably calling for it. And here's H.R. McMaster. I want to bolster our confidence. He might run tomorrow. again, though. He might run again. Would you support him running again? No, Jake, I don't support anybody, I mean, any individual. But of course, I think it would be terribly divisive for our country for, him to, for okay. him to run again. What we need to do is we need to analyze what the heck happened, right? We, we've been talking about the president's responsibility, but it didn't start there, right? This loss of confidence, these, these large portions of our population which feel disenfranchised, that lack confidence in our common identity as Americans, who lack confidence in our democratic principles and institutions and processes. How did that happen? Jake, I read about this a lot in Battlegrounds. We need to look at education and civics education, a sense of our history and, and, and who we are. We have to look at the media. Why is it that, that people who lean in one direction politically watch one cable news station, some who lean in another direction watch yours or, or another one? Why, why do people go to the pseudo-media and believe these kind of conspiracy theories? What is the role that social media plays in further polarizing our society and pitting against uh, pitting us against each other. We have a lot of work to do, Jake, and we have to do it, you know, as Ron has said, in a bipartisan, nonpartisan manner. And that's what all of us can expect of our institutions and expect of our political leadership as well. Okay, I mean, the only, I don't want to get into a conversation about CNN. We have a whole show that does that called Reliable Sources, but I will say there are channels in which lies are told and there are channels in which facts See, are told, and, and people who want the lies, they don't come here. They go to a different channel. Um, but but I don't want to talk hey, about it. Hey, Jake, I'm just, I'm just stating a fact. I'm just stating yeah, a fact. Yeah, there gonna, is no authoritative source of, of, of information these days, information, news these days. I'm not talking about opinion and analysis. Yeah. I'm talking about news that, that everybody goes to, right? So we have this, this basis for conversation. Hey, this, this is a fact I think you can agree with, Jake, and we all have a role in addressing absolutely this, right? we have to absolutely but i want to ask you about something that you just i don't want to talk about how reliable sources doesn't cover facts how about this one uh, on the advice of our medical team the administration does not intend to lift the restriction on 126 in fact we plan to strengthen public health measures around international travel in order to further mitigate the spread of covid 19 that's xenophobic he's not repealing that And what H.R. McMaster said is spot on. There is no organization that can say they didn't push lies. All I have to say is Russia. Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. And then when you cover a inauguration one way and another one like this. Donald J. Trump going to talk now to another one of his good friends. Yesterday, Donald Trump laid out his vision for America after being inaugurated as the 45th president of the United States. In a reporting career spanning five decades, CBS News contributor Bob Schieffer has seen administrations come and go. Yesterday, he witnessed his 14th presidential inauguration, and he joins us now with his impressions and thoughts on what lies ahead. Bob, welcome. We need your wisdom. <laughs> yeah, right yesterday in the con... I mean, you've seen 14 of these. How did this one compare? Well, it was totally different than any that I've seen. I mean, somebody wrote this morning it was totally lacking in grace, the president's speech. And, and Ruth Marcus of the Washington Post wrote, uh, he sank to the occasion. 
but beyond that, I mean, beyond the tone of the speech, I think the content of what he said was was disturbing. I mean, he wasn't talking about building a wall on along our southern border. He was talking about building a wall around America yep. and probably putting a top on it, I suppose. <laughs> it, I, it, it was just extraordinary. I mean, this was not a speech from a Republican. It wasn't a, re a speech from a Democrat. Yep. Uh, this, this was somebody totally different. When he talks about, you know, we have spent money defending other countries' borders while neglecting our own what kind of a message does that send to the world yeah. when he talks about, you know, buy America, hire America? That sounds great. Uh, and obviously that's that's what we want to do. But does that mean we're totally withdrawing from our trade agreements around the world? I think this is a speech that that our allies, our traditional allies, they've got to be worried about this yeah, because I think they don't know now exactly where the president and where America does stand. Well, the, the operative line there is that he had in the speech was protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. Protection is the philosophy. But it never has, and it's never been our philosophy. For 70 years, America has been the superpower. Yeah. Uh, we were all over the world and that's where our power comes from that's where some of our economic power comes from Bob you and I talked about this on set the invocation of America first that was also the name of an isolationist movement helmed in part by Charles Lindbergh in the Charles Lindbergh, years yeah. leading up to World War two you and, remember that and that came to an end with the end of World War two when we became part of these alliances NATO our alliances uh, in in the Pacific uh, I mean, I'm ha sitting here wondering, how did the Japanese feel? Now, we're under the, they are under America's nuclear umbrella. That's why they have never felt the need and why they don't want to build nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. uh, they know that the United States, if they're attacked, will consider it an attack on us. That got us through the Cold War. Uh, are we now going to just totally revise and uh, either do away with that or come up with some kind of different plan? There was also, a, I, I was struck by a, a, a kind of dark vision of America in this. I mean, there were, you know, he, he, he basically called factories now like tombstones, talked about gangs. Um, did you see a, an America you recognized in that speech? Not, the, not, not anything like that. I mean, let's, let's not try to gloss it over. America has problems. Terrorism is a problem. Uh, the people in the Midwest and some of these rural areas, if you can't get a job at the Walmart, you don't have a job anymore. But that's the way to approach that is not just to wall off America, it seems to me, uh, from the rest of the world. I mean, so many of those jobs, uh, they didn't go to, to immigrants. They didn't go to, uh, they went to robots. They went to the technology. I mean, yeah. you go and park your car now, there's not always somebody there to give you your, your parking uh, ticket. You know, there's a machine. You stick your card in, you take it out. And uh, we have to adjust to that. We have to invent our way out of this problem and and I think we can but the thing that really concerned me watching this speech yesterday is I simply don't believe there's a consensus in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party for what uh, the vision that he outlined yesterday that's my opinion clearly stated but I think he's gonna have a very difficult time is Donald Trump uh, a reaction to the last eight years or a culmination of frustrations that have been building for longer than that the country is deeply divided, and this this election made us more divided, not less divided. This was, after all, uh, 
a contest between two people that a majority of the American people neither like nor trust. But Trump goes into office with the lowest approval. For more on the president's inaugural address and the Trump administration's top priorities, we're joined by CBS News political director and Face the Nation moderator, our own John Dickerson. John, good to see you. Good morning. A lot happening here. Mm. So the president is the titular head of the Republican Party, and yet the president's remarks yesterday almost didn't sound like those of a Republican president necessarily. They sounded like the, the words of a Trump president, and yeah. that's what he is, and that's what the party is, and then we're now going to see who is in and who is out. I mean, but the the, the lines that, um, you know, are drawn now on trade, uh, but also on, there wasn't really the talk of uh, free enterprise in the way you might have expected from a Republican speech. There wasn't, there was no longer any Reagan vision of the world in which democracy is worth, worth protecting and kindling in other countries because there's a national security benefit to it. There was very much a feeling of close in in America, no longer that kind of Reagan Reaganist a view of the world. So those are two areas in which, uh, and trade, obviously, uh, where he's going to have some splits with his Republican Party. And, oh, by the way, the Republicans who've been running Congress, he w he criticized yeah. the politicians in Washington since they've been in charge. They're the ones most on the hook for caring more about themselves and their own comfort than the rest of the country. So how do you, how do you think he governs after making an opening gambit like this, John? Well, it's a great point. Great that you put it in terms of opening gambit. Yes. Uh, I talked to Richard <laughs> Lefrac, who's his friend of 40 years, the tycoon, New York real estate tycoon, and he said basically Donald Trump's uh, negotiating strategy is he throws a bunch of hand grenades, destabilizes the conversation, gains control over it, and then walks back. It's his opening gambit in a yep. negotiation. That's one view of it. The other is uh, that he's just going to take this outside movement and use it to put pressure on the politicians in Washington. That means a lot of ugly battles. So the first version is a negotiation where he'll wheel and deal. Yeah. He just uses this to set the opening stakes. The other is it's just a constant battle, but and we'll have to see. As a matter of strategy, his approval rating is at 37% right now. Like if, we're, if history is, is, is any indicator, that number is likely to go down. Now, Donald Trump doesn't have an election in 2018, but Republicans do. Republicans and do. Democrats do. But in an off-year election where intensity voters are the ones that participate mm -hmm. the most, he has a super strong bond with those intensity Republican voters. And if he turns that electorate on those Republicans who are up, that has them very nervous. He, yep. So he doesn't have the broad approval rating that you might want in a general election, but, but in terms of his ability to uh, exert pressure on on Republicans, they are nervous that if he turns one of his tweets against them, it will cause them real heartburn. And, right. and in conversations I've had, this is a real fear of theirs. This mm. is kind of a new style of governing. Do you think? Do you think there's a risk that that he will create fatigue from mm -hmm. this constant? disorder he likes to create. Absolutely. I was talking to a Republican senator this week who that was uh, this senator's opening point, which was this has obviously got the base rallied. He yep. has this amazing connection, but will it wear thin over time? This is a challenge to the notion of the presidency, which is that the presidency was a job of persuasion and yep. uh, which you tried to get the maximum number of people. Donald Trump spoke in his inaugural address and in his behavior to the people who brung him. And that's just yep. a, a different thing. It's the people who brought him and uh, his theory is that things are work out in the end and some, some people will come along, but he did not do any of the rhetorical or stylistic things to reach out to people who are nervous about him. He, he spoke to that audience in front of him. John, what about Russia? We know that John McCain and Lindsey Graham are showing no signs of backing down from that fight. They are, of course, leaders in Donald President Trump's own party. Where do you see this going? Well, you've got a couple of questions. One is the investigation into Russian meddling in the election that uh, Graham and McCain 
are, are interested in getting to the bottom of, and so are the intelligence agencies. But then there's this Russia sanctions measure in the Senate, and that could be an early problem for the president. If the, if the Senate votes out uh, sanctions against Russia and he doesn't want to ha have those sanctions. Well, look, first of all, you know, congratulations. Both of you guys were... We're not um, there yet. <laughs> well, well, well you're further than anybody said you would be. And I, I have enough uh, uh, class, and I was raised well enough to say, uh, when you outdo, yes, sir. Thank you. When you outdo expectations, you know, good for you. But there's another side to this. People have talked about a miracle. Uh, I'm hearing about a nightmare. Uh, it's hard to be a parent tonight for a lot of us. Uh, you tell your kids, "Don't be a bully." You tell your kids, "Don't be a bigot." You tell your kids, do your homework and be prepared. And then you have this outcome and you have people putting children to bed. They're afraid of how do I explain this to my children? I have Muslim friends who are texting me tonight saying, should I leave the country? I have uh, uh, families of... This was many things. I, 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 this was a rebellion against the elites. True, it was a complete reinvention of, of, of politics and polls, it's true. But it was also something else. We've talked about race. I mean, we've talked about everything but race tonight. We've talked about income. We've talked about class. We've talked about region. We haven't talked about race. This was a white lash against a changing country. It was a white lash against a black president in part. And that's the part where the pain comes. And Donald Trump has a responsibility tonight to come out and reassure people that he is going to be the president of all the people who he insulted and offended and, and, and brushed aside. Yeah, when you say you, know, you want to take your country back, you got a lot of people who feel that we're not represented well either. But we don't want to feel that someone has been elected by throwing away some of us to appeal more deeply to others. So this is a, a deeply painful moment tonight. I know it's not just about race. There's more going on than that. But race is here too. Um, I think this speech um, is going to appeal to a lot of people who are hurting. Um, parts of it could have been delivered by Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders identified a corporate uh, elite uh, centered in, in, on Wall Street and said they are the source of your problem. Trump identifies a government. They're the source of your problem. The big leaving the world stage. Let's watch this. <clears throat> it's, um... Well, it's easier to be a parent this morning. It's easier to be a dad. It's easier, it's easier to tell your kids character matters. It matters. Telling the truth matters. Being a good person matters. And it's easier for a whole lot of people. If you're Muslim in this country, you, you, you don't have to worry if the president doesn't want you here. If you're an immigrant, you don't have to worry if the president's going to be happier to have babies snatched away or sent, sent dreamers. 
back for no reason. This is vindication for a lot of people who have really suffered. You know, the, the, I can't breathe. You know, that wasn't just George Floyd. That was a lot of people that felt they couldn't breathe. Every day you're waking up and you're getting these tweets and you just don't know, and you're going to the store, and, and people who have been afraid to show their racism are getting nastier and nastier to you, and you're worried about your kids, and you're worried about your sister. And, and can she just go to Walmart and, and get back into the, her car without somebody saying something to her? And, 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 and you spent so much of your life energy just trying to hold it together. And this is a big deal for us just to be able to get some peace and, 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 and have a chance for, for, for a reset. And, and the character of the country matters. And, 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 and being a good man matters. I, you know, I just want my son to, to look at this. Look at this. You know, it's easy to, to, to do it the cheap way and, 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 and get away with stuff, but it comes back around. It comes back around, and this is a good day for this country. I, I'm sorry for the people who lost. It's easier to tell your kids character matters. It matters. Telling the truth matters. Being a good person matters. If you're Muslim in this country, you, you, you don't have to worry if the president doesn't want you here. If you're an immigrant, you don't have to worry if the president's going to be happier to have babies snatched away or send, send dreamers back for no reason. This is vindication for a lot of people. I thought about my mom and my grandmother this morning. They didn't have the right to vote, but I did. I spent all my life believing that the right to vote was, was the key to our future. This is not a by accident. Anyone to leave the room, just scoot over and let women also share in the leadership of this country. I'm so grateful that this moment has come. Anybody can sympathize, but Joe Biden has a way of empathizing. And I just felt that um, he was exactly what this country needs this time. And I also felt that he could withstand Donald Trump's foolishness. After the endorsement, both of us wept. Uh, tears were coming down his cheeks, and so, uh, so uh, were mine. And I, um, I, I felt then that this might set the campaign uh, in a good and new direction. They are exactly what our country needs now. We need competence. We need decency. As a black woman, what does this moment mean to you? It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, it brings tears to my eyes and, and joy to my heart. And my, you know, almost 18 year old daughter feels thrilled. I know there are young girls and I hope young boys all over this country who see themselves in her, just as in a family, in a country, we have so much more in common than that which divides us. And you've got to find that fundamental uh, truth together as to who we are and what we can be. I think we all need to step back right now, George, and understand what's going on on the other side. The danger that we have right now is what's going to happen with the more militant portion of the MAGA movement. I'd say that um, Biden needs to divide and conquer. He needs to speak to the portion of those folks and encourage calm. But 
Now this year, the inaugural committee is putting together a primetime TV special called Celebrating America for the Night of January 20th. And here's a look at the newly announced lineup. So it's Tom Hanks hosting the event with some help from Eva Longoria and Kerry Washington. They also helped to host the virtual DNC. Now there are musical performances at iconic locations across the country from Foo Fighters, John Legend, Bruce Springsteen, plus some special appearances from Demi Lovato, Justin Timberlake, and John Bon Jovi. You can watch it all right here next Wednesday on WUSA 9 at 8.30. There is so much going on next week. We will tell you when and where everything is happening coming up at 6 o'clock with more on security preps at 5.30. So Joe Biden's presidential inauguration is set to be a star-studded event. Today, it was announced that Lady Gaga will sing the national anthem at the swearing-in ceremony. Jennifer Lopez will also perform. Now, in a separate event, Tom Hanks will host a primetime TV special called Celebrating America. Demi Lovato, a vocal critic of President Trump, announced she will take the stage. And Justin Timberlake will perform a new song that uh, he's featured on with Grammy nominee Aunt Clemens. Yes, despite the star power, the, uh, the inauguration will be parred down. The entire National Mall in Washington, D.C. will be closed to the public on January 20th due to security concerns. And the parade and also the inaugural ball will be virtual. Wow. Um, this is crazy, Tori. Never in history, right, have we seen something like this happen. Um, it's all it's almost like a new chapter. Let's hopefully have faith in the new president. What do you think about all the star power? Are you actually worried that it might backfire and actually alienate the people on the right. I see what you mean about like Hollywood elite and all these people, I mean, Gaga, J-Lo, Justin Timberlake, they're all mega famous. And so I can see that what worries me most is the security. I know I'm from DC. I've never seen a fence on the National Mall in my life. DC has uh, museums and any museum, it's a Smithsonian, is free. You can walk in, you don't have to pay. Now there's fences and you can't get in anywhere. I know all 50 states are on high alert. And I also know that we've ordered about 20,000 National Guard troops to be in place for the inauguration. I want everything to be okay. I'm happy for the fanfare. I'm just not sure I really need it. I just want the transfer power to happen and we can just kind of move on. I actually think it's going to backfire. You do? I think it comes off out of touch. It comes off, look at all of us with all of our celebrity entourage. But don't you think it's good for... Uh, for you know I had to play Lemon. That's why people don't go to the same news agency. I understand for never-Trumpers, liberals, some conservatives, you fucking hated Trump. I got it. This show isn't about Trump. This show is about the media. And the media is overblown liberal. I mean, just rapid fire. Um, libs rage over Schumer for this. The top two Senate leaders are nearing a power-sharing agreement to hash out how to divide the chamber, how a divided chamber will operate, with Democrats in charge of setting the schedule, but both parties likely hold on equal number of seats on the Senate subcommittee, sources say. Oh, no, 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 no. Amanda Palmer and McConnell Schumer are meeting today to talk power-sharing. Power-sharing with the dudes who just ransacked the Capitol? Damn, Schumer, Schumer! Black organizers do not bust their butts and turn out the vote in their community so the Senate can work with Republicans. Silence them! Today's show, Dad is so emphatic 
and has the ability to recognize pain and to comfort. Ashley Biden says about her father, President-elect Joe Biden. I'm not playing it. She's crying. Trump's family, all fucking trailer trash pieces of fucking shit. Um, Glenn Kessler, get ready for reality-grounded White House press briefings. And a picture of George or Psaki, Jennifer Psaki. Mark Hemingway, after it was revealed in December 2013 that the secret talks of the U.S. and Iran actually had taken place, then-spokesman Jen Psaki admitted the administration lied in order to protect the secret secret negotiations. Stephen Miller, Jen Psaki vows to rebuild trust. Well, good enough for us. Let's go home, boys. Striking elf in a... In chains, White House press briefings shall be like they were under every single president. The press secretary spins up a truth, and unlike Trump, the media shall champion it as gospel, no matter the lie. Do do we do? Do you forget Obama? Then you have an article rolling out the red carpet for Biden and Harris, which never, ever. Have we had the inauguration of Biden and Harris? But that's what the signs say. Because we all know who's going to run it. Biden plus Harris equals hope reborn. Van Jones. Let's listen for a second. Look, I mean, it was a beautiful speech. Both of them, uh, they strengthen each other. Uh, they, 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 they're both steadier together. They're both stronger. Oh, shut the fuck up. Joe Biden, the perfect guy. You know, I want to go back to Joe, to all of that, that one number that 80% of this country thinks we're out of control. The concept of control is such such an important thing that literally four out of five Americans think we are out of control. The president... That guy said Biden was a lump of shit when it started. The decency and democracy candidate... White House reporter, non-endorsement, endorsement of Madam Vice President. It's April Ryan. Bouquets to Biden. It's on CNN. Steady Joe gaffes are really empathy. That's CNN and uh, the New York Times. Um, host Chuck Todd. They're a part of Biden that seems more Reagan-esque. Really. Reagan's a Nazi. He gave people fucking AIDS, you said. Uh... That way you're, oh, it's Grandpa, it's Uncle Joe. I'm not reading more. It's fuck jubilation nationwide block party. Nets salivate over Biden's big plan to shock the political system. No, they're sal- salivating that we're going to go pure socialism. Get ready for four years of submissive PR. CBS, CNN, help mark media's return to Obama-style reporting. This is CBS Sunday morning. Tomorrow on CBS Sunday, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and her husband Douglas Emhoff sit down with Jane Pauley and open up about the relationship and the story behind those Converse sneakers. Ariel Davis, state-run media, is off to a good start. Cozy with Camellia, CBS boasts Harris was born for this moment in history. A person who didn't even get a vote and dropped out prior to running for president. How about this, Jim? All the times Joe Biden's love for ice cream melted our hearts. Get the fuck out of here. What the fucking fuck? Ice cream? 
That's the next four years. H.R. McMaster, Spittin' Truth, which, by the way, I met H.R. McMaster. We did an MTT NTC in Fort Carson and talked with him. He's a great guy. He was a colonel then. And he's spot on. There's no faith in the media. Just four years ago, in December 2016, CNN Seltzer frets national emergency of Trump election ties to Russia. CNN Robert Baer, we should have another election. That wasn't seditious. Liberal media election hypocrisy. Slate editor in in New York Times calls for overturning election results. On Monday, members of the Electoral College will vote in Donald J. Trump as president. Though he lost the election by nearly 3 million votes, it almost daily generates headlines about new scandals. The Democratic Party is doing little to stop him. If you've been asking yourself, where are the Democrats? You're not alone. There's no shortage of legal theories that could challenge Mr. Trump's appointment, but the, they come from outsiders rather than the Democratic Party. That's the great lady. That is the pinnacle of never-Trumpers, principled secure, secure, uh, conservatives, Democrats. That's news. Hmm. Nets repeat bogus claim of hacked election 49 times in the month of December 2016. 49 times. Here's just a tidbit. Russian hacking the election. Russia hacked the American election. Russia hacked and interfered with the U.S. election. That election hacking. Election hacking? President-elect Trump saying he knows things we don't. That's not sufficient. Hacking. The Trump team still sending out mixed signals about whether they believe Russia was behind the hacking of the election. He might start to move towards accepting these conclusions of the intelligence community that Russia was indeed involved in this election. Donald Trump, according to what Mr. Priebus uh, said today, seems to have had a bit of an evolution from his previous skepticism. Priebus now says he believes what everybody else does. The Russians hacked into this election. What do you make of that? Well, I think they hacked into um, the DNC. They didn't hack into the election. That's Tammy Bruce. That wasn't sedition. December 7th, 2016, Chuck Todd, Trump hosting dangerous game of picking winners and losers. In the economy. Isn't that rich? Biden just came out and said, if you're white and a small business, you're not getting dick. But that's that's okay. The trio spotlighted the billionaire criticizing the hailing different companies on Twitter, therefore picking individual winners and losers. Kind of like all the companies that's just said they're not going to donate to Republicans. Kind of like Twitter. Oh, wait a minute. Twitter. I forgot. Here's Twitter. James O'Keefe here, Project Veritas. Last week, we released that whistleblower tape of CEO Jack Dorsey expanding his ideas of censorship. Not only was Project Veritas not deplatformed, we were trending number six on Twitter. Get ready, because today, you're about to hear from one of Dorsey's top executives, Vidya Gaddy. She's the legal policy trust and safety lead. She does not know that she was being recorded in this staff meeting. And here she is on video discussing how and why Twitter put the president in a timeout before he was permanently banned. You can hear her talking about that and more. Uh, the civic integrity policy in particular um, has 
of options, um, from labeling to removal in some instances to um, permanent suspension. Yeah, Vijay, I think you, you have a list of the top questions on, on Slack as well. Yes. Um, some of the main themes we're seeing, um, I think I've tried to address them, um, but uh, whether we believe Trump's tweets are inciting violence and having real-world harm, I think we've seen that, in fact, they are. I think the question is which ones are. We've also seen that Trump has attempted, um, since coming back from the timeout, to um, de-escalate the situation, uh, which I think has been helpful and important for um, some, if not all, of the people who are following um, him. So we do think that that is um, a risk, and that's why we're continuing our evaluation of how these tweets are being received and interpreted. Next, Gaddy exposes Twitter's plans to scale the censorship that we are currently experiencing here in the U.S. globally. Gaddy says they're doing this because of the violence that has unfolded as a result of, quote, either misleading information or coded rhetoric. We wonder which leaders will be banned next. When it comes to big tech, it's no surprise that a cultural bias may exist, but at Twitter, it seems their own employees have become the activists running the company. Gaddy sounds almost apologetic to her own staff for initially only putting Trump in a timeout. And the last question, which, you know, obviously would love Jack's point of view, but um, what is, uh, have we read the letter from employees demanding Trump to be suspended, and what's our point of view on that? within the letter that speak to the retro and how publicly we need to be about what we've learned uh, about our policies around our actions. One question in particular was just around, uh, you know, the first strike and that and the 12-hour suspension. Um, and if we consider just the severity of the president's tweets and why we didn't maybe jump uh, a couple steps ahead uh, versus just sticking to the, the kind of first strike in the 12 hours. Absolutely. We had a really robust discussion about whether it should just be a permanent suspension. Um, at the end of the day, we felt um, that this was a significant, this punitive action that we were taking was a significant escalation from how we had um, enforced our civic integrity policy against the president um, in the past. We felt that it was um, important to send that message that we were incredibly concerned and that this was a significant violation of our policy. But we also felt that um, it was important to um, build trust, to also warn before a permanent suspension um, of an account um, of this importance, particularly in light of the fact that there were also messages of conciliation and um, um, asking protesters to leave and to be peaceful, etc. So, obviously, it was a judgment call, um, and we're relying on 
Last week, one of our investigations into voter fraud led to the arrest of an illegal ballot harvester in Texas. Her name, Raquel Rodriguez. And although she could face up to 20 years in jail, the mainstream media and big tech refuses to acknowledge that voter fraud exists. It's no secret that big tech was censoring most voter fraud stories, even ours. But listen to how they justify this censorship of something that is absolutely incontrovertibly true. There's also been a lot of questions about retros, um, and um, uh, of course we're going to do a retro. I mean, we're, we're, we're in the midst of a retro around the election generally. This will be most definitely folded into it. What we saw Wednesday morning was really concerning to us, obviously, so uh, a small team gathered from Trust and Safety. We were discussing um, the potential for violence to happen, and we decided to uh, escalate our enforcement of the civic integrity policy and use um, a label that disabled engagements um, to stop the spread of potentially inflammatory um, content, which is the content around uh, election interference, election fraud, stealing the election, um, that type of thing. We think that the severity of what's happening on the ground, coupled with the information that's contained in these tweets, misleading information about the election being stolen um, and the massive fraud around the election, are what is changing our analysis of how we should enforce this policy. Um, it is a much more severe violation um, given what we're seeing on the ground. We made the decision yesterday that we are going to actually um, be more aggressive in our enforcement beyond deamplification. We are actually going to, for accounts that are primary purpose, um, spreading QAnon theories, we are going to, conspiracy theories, we are going to be permanently suspending those accounts. We are doing everything that we can to ensure that Twitter is being used in a positive way. If you're on the inside of big tech, mainstream media, or federal government agencies, reach out to us at veritastips at protonmail.com. Be brave. Do something. There's nothing wrong with that. Justified. You're all terrorists. Time writer, blue states should skip federal taxes after a popular vote when Paul Krugman bewails tainted election and outrage and we should never forget it. These are all December 2016, by the way. He wasn't even president yet. CNN.com, Electoral College is democracy's ugliest acronym. That's December 15th. Time, here are the Democrats boycotting Donald Trump's election. Alma Adams, Karen Bass, Don Beyer, uh, Brendan Boyle, Earl Blumenthal, or Blumenauer, uh, Anthony Brown, G.K. Butterfield, Tony Cardenas, Joaquin Castro, Judy Chu, Catherine Clark, Yvette Clark, Lacey Clay, Steve Cohen, who thinks all soldiers are pieces of shit, John Conyers, Peter A. DeFazio, Mark DeSanauer, Lloyd Doggett, Mike Doyle, Keith Ellison, Andriano Espaliat, Dwight Evans, Marcia Fudge, Runin Gallego, Al Green, Rule Guevara, Luis Gutierrez, Jared Hoffman, Primal Japala, Barbara Lee, John Lewis, 
Ted Lou, Zoe Zoffrin, Jerry McCurney, Jaron Knopfler, Grace Napolitano, Chele Pinguro, Mark Pocon, Lucille Royal Allard, Paul Ruiz, Kirk Sh- Schrader, Jose Serrano, uh, Carol Shea Porter, Adam Smith, Darren Soto, Mark Takano, Bernie Thompson, uh, Juan Vargas, Nidia Velasquez, Maxine Waters, Watson Coleman, John Yarmouth, J.K. Butterfield, Jamie Raskins. Were they seditionists? Should we use the 14th Amendment to take them out? I'm asking for a friend. I actually have friends that believe it. If you question this election, you should be voted out of office. You should be shamed. But four years ago, we had no problem with it. And I will guarantee our next podcast, which will be probably next Tuesday, the 26th, We're going to hear Hopi. Oh, it's a beautiful morning in America. I mean, Tom Hanks, that was a little soundbite, host inaugurating TV special with performances by Demi Lovato, Justin Timberlake. They wrote new songs. And in the process of scaring the country, locking it down, ruining the economy, telling you the President of the United States was a Russian asset, then he got impeached, then he is the virus. Then he got impeached for a riot that went out of control. We had a summer of riots going out of control that once again were financed by the left and big business. 21 million guns sold in 2020, up 60%. Women, blacks, top buyers. You scared the whole country. So that's how you can have that Don Wilson fucking Williamson. What the fuck was his name? I followed him now because this guy's just a fucking shitbird Don Winslow that's how you get people believing that shit that everything he's saying is coded while simultaneously we're saying anybody who doesn't agree with us not the election you're just part of the big lie you're Goebbels fucking Goebbels that's good shit right there so I want to end on something positive because we're at our two hours. I would play two sound bites. Marr, who once again, when Bill Marr's the reason on the left, it scares me. And of course, my Packers, who are going to the NFC Championship. But it's a key little nugget. When you lose liberals like Rodgers, you're probably fucking up. And <clears throat> finally, new rule as bad as last week was. Worst school trip ever. Let's not confuse 5,000 people with 74 million. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, even, <clears throat> even supporting the insurrection in spirit is, well, deplorable. But there's a difference between holding illiberal beliefs and acting violently on them. At least, that's what they always told me about Islamic terrorism. I keep wrestling on this show with the hard question of how do Americans, all of us, learn to share a country with assholes you can't stand? I've preached, and still do, that you can hate Trump, 
but not all the people who like him. And as counterintuitive as it may seem, you can like something run by assholes without being one yourself. Just ask Chick-fil-A. <laughs> There's been so much liberal happy talk this week, jerking each other off about how, oh, this is the end of the Republicans now. Yeah, just like Watergate was the end of the Republicans, and Bush after Katrina was, and now it's Trump. Please, does anyone think that no matter who's running in 2024 on Election Day, it won't be extremely close? I'll bet anyone out there a quadrillion zillion dollars it will be. So, should Ashley Babbitt have applied better logic in seeing that her real problem in life wasn't pedophile Democrats or Antifa and that people like Elizabeth Warren were actually the ones who were at least trying to do something about predatory lending and economic exploitation? Yes. Yes, but not everyone can watch MSNBC all day. She had other priorities, like fighting overseas. And maybe, since all politics is local, all she knew was that she lives in a state that seems to care more about her toxic whiteness than her toxic brokenness, and that the state that's run entirely by Democrats? Yeah, they didn't stop anyone from charging her 169% interest on a loan either. It shouldn't be that surprising that America is full of fed-up, unhappy people who just want to break shit. Trump sure didn't drain any swamps, but when it comes to graft and corruption and everybody wetting his beak, California, yeah, that's a swamp too. We can't put up a housing unit for the homeless for less than 500 grand or build a rail line connecting the state for less than $200 million a mile even though in France, with all their socialism, they did it for more like 15 million. California is a blue state that is completely held together by red tape. It's no wonder people are leaving in droves. I am in year four of trying to get my solar power hooked up. Just building this shed up to code took three years. Pitch out, Jones looks for a seam, cuts up, and Jones still on his feet. How did he stay up? Jones with a first down, down to the 39. And an eight-yard run. Rodgers going to throw it. Fire, it's caught. Touchdown, Adams. So here's our, really our first opportunity to kind of see this one-on-one -on -one matchup during the course of the game. It, it's really been more of Jalen Ramsey playing the star. Here he is going against Devontae Adams, going to follow him all the way across. Now you think he's going to stay over there. Good timing, a little bit of a late start by Jalen Ramsey. He just can't navigate. Rodgers on the fake, looking, pumping, Rodgers running, and he's in. Touchdown, Green Bay. something special right there and, and you know it's funny because Brandon Staley said at this point in his career you know it, it looks as though Aaron Rodgers is more of a tactical scrambler watch this this is tremendous ability watch what he does God getting everyone set looking left throwing left it is caught for the touchdown Van Jefferson who got all the reps with Cooper Cup hurt in practice this week comes through with a touchdown his second of the year
Really nice placement by Jared Goff on this throw because Adrian Amos is coming up to make the play. If it's high and it's not low and outside, there's an opportunity for a turnover, but he gets it down and away, and Adrian Amos can't make a play. 24 seconds left. Rodgers has time, can't find anyone. Now pressure. Rodgers running away, throwing on the run. He's got a completion to the big man. It is caught by Robert Tunyon, and now they're in field goal range. Rodgers on the run, and it's good for 33. I, I don't know what you do in this situation. You're able to get him off his spot with just four guys rushing. So here come your four rushers. You get him off the spot. Now watch this throw on the move as he climbs the pocket. I mean, what do you do? He ain't got a little bit of a handful of jersey right there. Aaron Donald's gotten close. Here's Aaron Jones. Time going to run it again up the middle inside the five. Still going. Akers is in. What a hard run by Cam Akers. And the Rams punch it in. Well, the first two times in that formation, it did nothing. That time it worked like a charm. You and I both would have given up on it by this point. Watch him go through Chris Barnes, though. I, I, now, Chris Barnes hurt his thumb early there. You can see he's got a cast on his left hand. But. Goss looking to throw on the two point conversion. They got a little. Oh, look at the trickery to Akers. The flip, it worked. Jefferson on the catch. The flip to Akers and the creativity. Jones has 98 of them. Play fake here, though. Rodgers going for it all. Looking to break it open. He's got it. Lazard. Gonna go. Touchdown, Green Bay. out at a restaurant you know unless you're wearing a mask and, and separate oh here's a picture of uh, the governor of california violating those rules oh public schools are closed but i can send my kids to a private school in person school and it's like i mean for us to to count on the government to help us out is is becoming a joke at this point that bill maher surprisingly as much of a vitrolic person he is he nails it almost every time because there's a difference between him and Democrats and a difference between him and Republican politicians. He knows the American people. Nobody cares that that lady got shot. And in everything I've researched, she did absolutely nothing wrong. She was just there following people through a door. Should she have been there? No. But she got shot in her face. The amazing thing is nobody's burned down cities 
The media has not gone on a tirade that all cops are racist, evil people. Instead, they went, all the military's evil. All people that voted for Trump are seditionists. And once again, the people that should be protecting us, Republicans and never Trumpers, are all just doing this. We will never have a free, truly free country when one side gets to burn shit and the other doesn't, when one side can vilify all their opposition and the other side can't, and every media establishment, company, and the entire web promotes leftist violence but censors righty talk, not violence. Not saying racists shouldn't be able to have a platform. I'm not saying people saying we should go kill people should have a platform. But when you allow the left to have that platform and you don't find it to be disgusting because you just don't like those people, we got problems. And I think that's what really comes down to. Everybody wants to talk about white and black. It's class. If you're an uneducated person without a degree on your wall from what's the matter you, you are less than. And for being less than, your opinion doesn't matter. Your quality of life doesn't matter. And when you say, hey, this ain't right, well, you're just uneducated. Let us make decisions for you, the left does. Let's ignore you, the right does. And the media just puts you as a byline of not voting for your rights. Today, I personally put up a I love you thing to end the show. I served under Democrats and Republicans. It didn't really matter because I didn't have any politics until I left the service. I went to the L.A. riots. Didn't quite feel too good when I went there that I might have to shoot my fellow Americans. And then when I left, I felt like we didn't do enough because there were some bad people there. There were some people that deserved to get shot. Grape Street Crips. They weren't affecting white people. They were affecting black grandmas who couldn't even go to the store without a weapon. It was really jacked up. I was really depressed when I left. I was 23. I stayed in the mall. Waste, you know, was knee deep in filth. They trashed the grocery store. They fucking raided the Radio Shack. And at the time, Radio Shack didn't have the realistic stuff. It was literally just diodes. But I went because I was told to. I deployed because that was my orders. And though I don't have a college degree, not as important as most of the people, just a dude in the basement, that is my degree. 20 years I served a president who got blowjobbed while soldiers were getting kicked out for sex. I mean, any kind of sex. Infidelity. Generals are going down left and right. And then I served under a guy who cared about soldiers, but sent us all over the world to go fight a bunch of wars. And a lot of my friends died. And in the end, he was no different out of office. He said he was going to be, but he couldn't resist 
once Trump came in office. As Obama destroyed the military and called us all less than and we're all loser, racist, pieces of shit and, you know, Ivy League language. He didn't say nothing. But the moment Trump came, oh no, I'm going to speak. He's a piece of shit. His father's a piece of shit. Yet I didn't hear him say anything about the riots all summer. Not a word. But regardless of their politics, I served. I served the officers appointed above me. It was an oath. And that you people on the left truly believe that Don Winslow shit, they were all covert white supremacists, and you got people going on to parlor, and just because you use a app, you are a Nazi. And you want to silence and do purity tests. Fuck all you. Just fuck all of you. And if you're a righty, you concur with it. If you're a never-Trumper, go fuck yourself. The same people that have been serving, bleeding, and dying for this country are from the same bloodlines. While the same people keep getting rich. I'm looking for a flag. Because I'm going to protest for the first time when they come after the 2A. And I'll probably offend some people because everybody has the right to bear arms. But I earned my right to bear arms. I gave 20 years of my life. I have a damaged body. I can barely get out of fucking bed. Serving people that hated me. Democrats who thought I was a low skill set piece of shit. Republicans who looked off as, ah... I I support the troops, but man, those people are ignorant. They're not very educated. The amazing thing is all those 20 years I was with blacks, Latinos, smart people, rich people, poor people. And I found they were all great people because they were serving their country with nothing in return. My pension is a penance. I don't get a boycott or go to a union and say I want more. I don't even get a copper fireman pension. That's an actual living when you get out. I get very little money. Shitty health care that you're all about to get with Biden. Have fun with your Motrin. And I didn't ask for a parade. I didn't ask to be thought I was a good person. I didn't serve for accolades or, God, he's a vet. But I did expect a little respect. Just some basic decorum. That I did something that you didn't do. I went to a war that everybody was for until they were against on the left. And if that doesn't give me the right to say, hey, that election was pretty squirrely. Biden's the president, but that's pretty squirrely. Hey, the media is fucking garbage pushing Democrat talking points. Hey, those riots in the summer were horrible. They were organized. They were financed by actual people who want to destroy America and make it totally different. That 80 people voted, 80 million people voted for because they didn't research. And that doesn't give me the right to go on a platform and say those things. No, it's not how it works. I've had family people say they're, or family 
relatives, they're worried about me. It's impossible not to be angry. And if you're not angry, I'm asking you, why aren't you paying attention? I'll go back to Dan, Dan, Dan Crenshaw. Don't really like the guy. Don't think he'll be president. But his words were prophetic. If you're not listening to these people, if you're not watching the show they're about to put on tomorrow, and how the media will cover it as so presidential and perfect, as a man stammers, and then people try to post it, and they say it's manipulated media, and that half his shit comes out of his own fucking op shop with subtitles, and that they're showing this patriotic bullshit after a summer of saying America's garbage... If you don't catch that, keep your head in the sand, and as you start losing all your rights to free speech and weapons and our justice system, our monetary system all gets turned to intersectionality, and you don't get none because your skin color, don't cry. You've been warned. If you haven't paid attention, that's your fault. These people don't like America, and they're about to change it forever. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please go to foppodcast.com to get the audio that will be linked now, the video that will be linked, and to contact the show. Check out my Twitter account at FopTonyReed. Make sure you... Bookmark foppodcast.com. Thanks again, Matt in Oregon. Our next show, once again, will be the 26th of January, year of our Lord, 2021. And we'll cover the after effect of the greatest president this country, George Washington, racist pieces of shit, Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris, because we're now inaugurating both of them, are the greatest people this country's ever had. I'll keep it short on sound bites. But you know there'll be some. As always, thanks for listening, and take care.